If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke. 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 I am your father. Uh, <clears throat> isn't Seth wild? Uh, I, last week, Seth preached, and uh, what a guy. He's <clears throat> really, uh, one lady just came up almost crying and just said, you know, thanks for taking the time to find him. He's, he's a gem. Uh, and he had such an interesting uh, message and an interesting way of delivering it, uh, talking about wax on and wax off, sweep the broom, paint the fence. Oh. <laughs> I was actually disappointed that he didn't put that in the illustration. If you're going to do Karate Kid, you've got to do the power move, but he didn't do that. But other than that, it was a pretty good sermon. Uh, and he has kind of a, um, you know, he kind of has a, almost a Zen way of bringing it forth, doesn't he? And he actually kind of looks a little bit Buddhist. In fact, we had to go to a Buddhist monastery to find the guy, all right? So, uh, just kidding. But um, I, I really, he's, he's such a gift, and he's a gift to our youth, and, and I just appreciate him being here. So I'm going to preach out of the same text he did, that we do that sometimes. We're not awfully fancy around here. We just study the Bible, and as long as we feel God's talking to us through this passage, we, we preach out of it. Uh, so we're looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Out of the TNIV version, here's what it says. <clears throat> one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and the disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat them, eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are you breaking a rule, an important rule? And that's what this message is about, rules. Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he, was, when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now, th that was a serious crime. For those of you, uh, the closest analogy I can think of is this. Uh, those of you who come from Catholic backgrounds, or maybe you're still Catholic, I was raised Catholic, uh, what would happen to you if you and your buddies broke into the priest's headquarters and ate the communion bread and drank the communion wine after the priest had consecrated it? Uh, oh boy, yes, right, oh boy. You'd be in serious, serious trouble. That is absolutely taboo. Only the priest is allowed to eat and drink that after it's been consecrated, unless it's giving as the ritual of communion. Well, that's kind of what, what's going on here. This was a serious crime. But the point of that illustration is this. God didn't strike David dead. And so what the illustration is showing is that sometimes... Sometimes in extreme circumstances, even very sacred rules can be broken. David, at this point, as Seth pointed out last week, is running from Saul. Um, he's been exiled, and, uh, and so God you know, wants him to be back on the throne and uh, reigning as king, yada, yada, yada. So in this circumstance, God bends the rule. God sometimes does that. That's what Jesus was doing on the Sabbath. And then Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And what he's, he's making there a, a claim of divinity, uh, where he's saying, look, it, I invented the Sabbath. It's my idea. So I think I know, have a pretty good idea when it can be kept and when it should be broken. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Already they're on this guy. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Their eyes are fixed on him. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with a shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So the guy got up and stood there. Then Jesus said, I ask you, he said to all the people, what, 
I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? He's kind of taunting the Pharisees here. He could have like waited till the service was over, gone out back and healed the guy and not caused any problems. But, but Jesus is, is, is flaunting this. He's driving home a point. In front of everybody, stand up. Stretch out that hand. And then he taunts them. Should I do good or evil on the Sabbath? What do your rules say? Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, how I read that part. Uh, he looked around at them all. Jesus often stared down the crowds. And then said to them, <clears throat> said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, rather than celebrating this wonderful, wonderful fact, they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Lord, we just ask that your wisdom be poured out here. Give us wisdom about rules, about living, about life, about the kingdom. Build your kingdom in our hearts and our minds with this message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I <clears throat> love about Jesus is that he had a gift for ticking off Pharisees. He, 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 uh, he, he sometimes was a rule breaker. Now, my motive uh, behind this isn't necessarily pure. Um, it's because I am kind of a rule breaker. So, of course, I like this aspect of Jesus' life. He broke rules and ticked off all the uptight people who were uh, getting life from rules. I, early on in my life, I uh, discovered that I wasn't good at being the good kid in the class and competing in that realm. And so the way I decided to get life was by being the bad kid. And I cultivated early on a life style where I just got life, got worth by getting attention for being the bad kid, the class clown, the rule breaker. And I learned to really enjoy breaking rules. There are some people who are just sort of wired or because of life circumstance, they're law-abiding. They like to go, you know, they don't like to you know, cause waves. There are others of us, and I know I'm not alone here, who, if someone says, do not cross this line, every fiber in your being just wants to go like that. Especially if the person is one of these uptight kind of people, because you like to see them start to lose their cool over the thing. And it's not a godly thing, and God's done a wonderful work in my life, and I, I'm improving on this. But, but there's a part of me that just, you know, like the rebel, you know, the rebel. Ugh. So I like this part about Jesus, this aspect of his ministry. But here's the thing that's interesting. Uh, Jesus wasn't always like that. In fact, Jesus didn't break rules just to break rules. I would break rules just to break rules. I liked to drive the nuns in the Catholic school crazy. I, it was my favorite thing to do. Uh, and, and, and I was a little demon child. There's no higher good that I was aiming for. Okay, I got to tell you this one. Uh, some of you who are close to 50, do you remember the cleat phenomenon when cleats were really cool in the early 60s? If you're a cool kid, you had cleats. And so you'd walk along, click, 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 you know, like the tap dancers do. That, that, that was a sign that you were cool. And at one point, for reasons I'm not quite sure of, but in my Catholic school, they sent me there to reform me and it didn't work. But they, they, uh, they outlawed cleats. And it was the controversy in 1963, I think it was, 64, I was in first grade, and uh, uh, it, it was, it was the, the, the major, you know, controversy in the school. There's always a buzz about who got caught with cleats, you know, and that was kind of a status thing. And, and the nuns became, like, like hyper-vigilant about cleats. It, it, was, it was the weirdest thing. Uh, if they would hear a click of some sort, they... They would turn into sort of like these hunting pointer dogs, you know, like the Irish setters, where they see a pheasant, and their tail goes straight, and they're like, like this. And they, they just stare. As soon as they heard a click, 
And they were hypervigilant. And I'm a demon child. And so I didn't have any cleats, but I did have tax. I had a little, I, I could, I found inventive things to do with tax. And so I found that by putting uh, two or three tacks on the tip of your foot, if you just hit it like this, it sounds just like a cleat. And so I would on occasion, I, we would go into the bathroom, things single file, you know how you do in first grade, and you're all walking down there, and they have these nice tile floors, and, and it echoes a lot in the, I probably wouldn't even be sharing this if I wasn't on NyQuil, but um, <laughs> it, it echoes a lot, and so you're walking along, and if you just go boom, like that, it's a click, and the nun turns on, you know, Sister Mary Ann Joseph, God bless her, pointer dog, <laughs> and she's staring, and then she'd come, and she'd look, because you could tell if someone has cleats, because their feet are a little bit raised, but you can't tell if they have tacks. So she would just examine. And we're all like this. And me and my buddy, we're both the losers in the class, but we're just loving this. And then you go a couple more yards, and you click again, and she turns into a pointer dog. Jesus never did that. That's my point. <laughs> when he broke a rule, it wasn't just to get the pointer dog fixture on the part of the Pharisees, though he did get that. But there was, there was a, a purpose to it. But here's what's kind of confusing. Jesus sometimes broke rules, but other times he taught the rules. And he taught them seriously. Honor your mother and father. I mean, he taught the Ten Commandments. He taught, he believes the whole Bible is inspired. And he's big on that. In fact, at one point he says this in Matthew 5. He says, I don't want you to think that I've come to abolish the law. Some people think that. That Jesus is sort of this late 60s hippie anarchist who's anti-establishment. And to follow Jesus means we love and we don't do any rules. We do whatever we want. And they think that's following Jesus. But he's not an anarchist like that. He says, don't, don't you think that, I, don't go thinking that I've come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Okay, so here's the question. If you came to fulfill the law and the prophets, what are you doing breaking the Sabbath? Because that's part of the law and the prophets. It's really kind of confusing, isn't it? So let's try to put this here, this all together here. How can he say that he's fulfilling the law when sometimes he's breaking law? What I want us to see here this morning is this. Not all laws are created equal. There's a difference between some. Now, right now, I know that someone's going to hear this on television or on the radio, and they're going to turn to a pointer dog staring at me because they're thinking I just said that not all the Bible's equally inspired. And they're staring at this. Oh, he's a heretic. We knew it all the time. I'm not saying that all the Bible's inspired. It is inspired. Jesus treats the whole thing as the word of God. But to say that it's all inspired doesn't mean that all laws are equal, that all the rules and all the teachings there are on the same footing. Here's what Jesus said at one point. He's, he's having a controversy with the Pharisees once again. He's quite angry at this point. And interestingly enough, the only people they ever got angry with were the legalists, the Pharisees and the lawyers. But he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the, look at this, more important matters of the law, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Apparently, there's, there's, there's some things that are more important than others. Now, what's going on here is that the Pharisees are under the Old Covenant, and they're Jews, and so they have to pay their temple tax. The, the tithe was a part of the taxation in the Old Testament up to the time when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. You support the temple by supporting the Levites with 10% of your income. And the Pharisees and the lawyers, since they're the, you know, kind of the guardians of righteousness, they make sure that they tithe even on their, their spices, even on insignificant spices like mint, dill, and cumin. That's, they're just like the most insignificant spices you could have. In a bartering culture, everything you have it has monetary value. And so to, 
uh, say that you tithe even on mint, dill, and cumin is sort of like saying you tithe to the very last penny. Uh, you know, the, even on the, it'd be like if I, give, if I gave you a dime and the first thing you thought of was, I got to make sure I pay a penny more in the offering because of this dime. That'd be, that'd be having the kind of attitude that they had. Now, here's the thing. That's not wrong. Some people are just very meticulous, very detailed, very vigilant. I'm not one, but some people are. And, and you just, you always are doing the number crunching. That's fine. Jesus doesn't get mad at them because they tithe mint, dill, and cumin. What he gets mad at is that they're more concerned with tithing mint, dill, and cumin than they are with more important matters, more important laws, more important rules, like living justly and living with mercy and, and, and living faithfully before God. There's a difference between those two things. Justice and mercy and faithfulness are life principles, principles of life. Whereas tithing on mint, dill, and cumin, tithing to the last penny, that's a rule which maybe is important, but it's not on the same level as the life principles of, of, of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Life principles are the principles about what life looks like when you're fully alive. What it means to live under the reign of God. What it means to be a, a, a human being as God intends human beings to, to, to be. To do that is to live with justice and mercy and faithfulness and compassion and, and a number of other attributes. And all of them, all of them manifest love. Because in the end, love is synonymous with life. God is love and we are most alive when we reflect God's character, which is love. And if you live in love, you will manifest justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's all, they're all aspects of love. That's why Jesus and Paul and James and others in the New Testament say this. That if you love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the whole law. All the law is ultimately about this. This is the ultimate life principle. To live in this, you can't help but live with faithfulness and mercy and justice. There's a difference between life principles and rules. The rules are, are there to apply life principles, but there's no life found in the rules themselves. Uh, if you're a faithful Jew in the first century, you will tithe, maybe even mint, dill, and cumin, though Jesus, I don't think, would have you get too uptight about that, but, 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 but you would be tithing. But being a tither in the first century doesn't make you a faithful person. It certainly doesn't make you merciful and just. It certainly doesn't make you loving. You see, the, the rule is there to support the principle. The principle is not there to support the rule. Rules are what life looks like in a particular circumstance. But there's no life in the rule. Life needs rules, but there's no life to be found in the rule. Life is found in the life principles because life principles are about what rules look like. One way to tell the difference is this. Life principles never vary from circumstance to circumstance. Life always is life. But rules which apply life principles vary a lot because life is always different. It's always changing. Circumstances are different. Uh, you'll never find God wavering on life principles, but you'll find him wavering quite a bit when it comes to rules. Life principles that deal with love are always in place. That's why Paul says, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, live in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you. Live in that. Don't do it sometimes and not others. But rather, live. As long as you're living, that's the right time to love. As long as you're breathing, oh, must be the right time to love. As long as you're thinking, you got a brainwave, any at all, any neuron activity, good, must be the right time to love. Is your heart beating? Must be the right time to love. Never is it appropriate not to love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, let everything you do, everything you do, 
even your arguments, even your debates, even your theology debates. Let everything you do be done in love, which means if you can't do it in love, then don't do it. The life principle is invariant. The rules about what that looks like will change from culture to culture and person to person. So by contrast, look at, let's go back to the tithing issue. In the Old Testament, tithing was a big issue. I mean, that, that was God's teaching some, some foundational principles there, so this rule is a very important one. It was a way of supporting the Levitical priesthood and supporting the temple, and, and it was part of the law. To not tithe in the Old Testament was to rob God, it says in Malachi 3. But when we get to the New Testament, things are a little bit different. Things have changed. Now, when, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, who are Jewish, and the temple still exists, so they're still under temple taxation, he presupposes, he assumes they're going to still be tithing, and that's a good thing. But when the New Testament talks to Gentiles, the rule is different. And when it talks to everybody after the temple falls in 70 AD, the rules are different. In the New Testament, the principles of giving are give generously and give abundantly, give outrageously, give sacrificially, give joyfully, but it never, it never puts a percentage on it. Here's the percentage we want. There will be rules that we adjust in our life about how much we should give, but my rule may not be your rule. The principle that we're to let generosity and graciousness permeate every area of our life, including our finances, that's always there. But what it looks like changes from time to time. Life principles never vary. Mercy, love, justice, faithfulness. But the rules that apply them sometimes change. So you find God changing the rules throughout the Bible. Another illustration of this. Faithfulness is always one of God's chief characteristics. That's always what life looks like. And so faithfulness in marriage is always what God uh, is aiming for. It always uh, is, is, to, is to be manifested. And God's ideal is to have one man and one woman, and that constitutes marriage, and you have them for life, a lifelong union together. Read Genesis chapter 2. But you'll find episodes in history where God was willing to bend the rule on marriage to save the principle of marriage. In fact, to say the principle of life. There were times where when the nation of Israel was at war and men were being killed by the, by the, you know, the, the loadful, uh, that God would uh, allow for polygamy. It wasn't his ideal, but he, he bent the rule to allow for polygamy. And the reason is because in an agrarian culture where you've got to survive off of the, the land, if you're a widow who lost a husband in war and you've got 10 kids, how are you going to survive? And so God, as, because God is unwavering in terms of his mercy, he's flexible in terms of the rule. And he bends the rule to be merciful to women and children. So that there's someone to care for them and supply them. The, a man who was wealthy enough could have uh, wives and he'd have servants that would, would help out with all this. And, 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 but the rule changes, but the principle behind it is, is inflexible. This is part of why Jesus said that Sabbath... And the rule about Sabbath was made for people, not people made for the Sabbath. There's, there, there, it's important to keep that priority there. As Seth pointed out last week, uh, keeping that, the rule about keeping that seventh day set apart and not working on it, God was trying to teach us a principle there about not getting life from our work and not getting security from our work. We're supposed to get life from God and security from God and, and life is more. We're not to be defined by our work. So God, as a pedagogical lesson, gives this, this rule about keeping the seventh day apart. But the rule was there to help people live, to manifest life. There's no life found in the rule, which is why Whenever the rule conflicts with the principle of the Sabbath, Jesus is willing to bend the rule. 
Whenever the rule gets in the way of a living relationship with people, then the rule has got to be bent. So Jesus is willing to feed people on the Sabbath, and he's willing to heal people on the Sabbath, because after all, that's what the Sabbath is for. It's about life. It's about people. It's about relationship. It's about mercy. It's about justice. And the insanity of legalism is that I can't see that. The insanity of legalism is that it levels the playing field and makes all rules equal. And so the insanity of legalism, it's like a, it's like a demonic virus that attacks the brain and, and it jades our perception so that we can't see what life is like. All we can see are the rules and it turns the Bible into a legal book and we become God's lawyers, which is exactly what the Pharisees were and we don't want to go there. Uh, the, the legalism is, is, is this virus that gets in the brain and it, 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 you can't see the forest through the trees. All you see are the particular trees. And so Jesus is trying to confront this virus by, by intentionally, in their face, breaking the rule in order to salvage the principle. The only way to keep the principle of the Sabbath is to break the rule about the Sabbath in these kind of situations. Legalism is this virus that distorts our, our thinking. It, 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 it is what causes the Pharisees to think that keeping the rule about the Sabbath is more important than healing a person on the Sabbath. That's insane. Legalism is what causes them to uh, tithe mint, dill, and cumin and be very, very earnest about that, which is fine. But they think that's more important than showing mercy to a prostitute, which they never did. See, mercy is a life principle. Uh, it causes them to go to church every day. They go to the synagogue every day. That's fine. That's a good thing to do. Have a rule about that. Fine. But they'll pass a person who just got beat up laying almost dead in a ditch, and they won't stop to help them because they got to get to the church. This is insane. They're not seeing the forest through the trees. they got a virus going on. They, they're living for the rules. They act like the rules have life in and of itself. And it goes on today all over the place. Uh, you can get a man who goes to church religiously, never misses church even for a moment, and that's a fine thing. But when he's out of church, he goes home and he treats his wife like trash, like a household slave or something. That's insanity. The whole purpose for going to church is to be a better husband. If that's not working, what are you going to church for? You see, there's got to be a sense of perspective here. This virus called legalism will cause some to... You know, a person tithe religiously. That's wonderful. If that's where God leads you, 10% or 20%, whatever you give. But a person can do that, but they won't talk to their neighbor next door because they're gay. That's insanity. Uh, a person who, who feels very righteous. Legalism breeds people who feel very righteous that they don't smoke, and this other person does. And they gossip about the person who smokes. And they don't notice the contradiction in this. That's the insanity that legalism causes. It causes a person who's very wealthy to be just... Uh, rigid on doctrine to make sure every T is crossed and every I is dotted and, and pure doctrine is what you live for and, and, and if that's how you're wired, fine. But they don't give a moment of their time or a dime out of their wallet to help the poor or to further the kingdom. This is insanity. You're, you're, you're paying attention to the minutia, but you're missing the weightier matters, the more importance of the law. Not all laws are created equal. Some are life principles, which are always to be held and are always valid. Some are simply rules that apply life principles, and they change from time to time. So the take-home point on this this morning is this. Be inflexible with life principles, but be very flexible with the rules. Be inflexible on life principles, mercy, justice, faithfulness, life, love. But be flexible, a little bit flexible at least with the rules. This is how Jesus was. Jesus was absolutely inflexible on life principles. He'd rather die 
than ever be unfaithful, die rather than be unmerciful or unjust. In fact, his death is the epitome of expressing life principles. It, it, is, it is life in the kingdom. He dies, and in doing that, he shows what God's love is like. He shows what mercy is like. He shows what justice is like. He shows what faithfulness to God is like. He would rather die than ever compromise on a life principle. But when it came to the rules, he, 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 he wasn't against rules. He, he, was, he was for them, but, but, the, but the rules are there for the principles, and so sometimes you've got to bend the rules to keep the principles. And that's the mindset we ought to have. Now, this isn't saying that rules are unimportant. Rules are important. And I hate saying that. Why? Because I'm a rule breaker. I've learned, though, that rules are very important. If I don't have rules in my life, covenantal agreements in my life, <clears throat> I live life haphazard. And you know what happens when you live life haphazard? Kind of just whatever? You will end up being a very self-centered person. There's a there's, there's a law in the fallen world, the law of gravity, if you will, that we tend to become our own little black holes that suck everything into ourselves. Unless we have disciplined rules to keep us from doing that. My wife and I have got to have some agreement, per year at least, uh, about, about what percentage of our income is not going to be spent on us. How much are we going to give to charities? How much are we going to give to the church and, and, and things of that sort? I need a rule about that. Because if I don't have that, you don't have a rule about how you steward your finances. It's called a budget. If you don't have a rule about that, well, first of all, you're probably going to be maxing it out. Go and see that documentary, Maxed Out, about how Americans use credit cards. This is why we need rules, folks. But you'll also find that 99% of your spending goes to yourself. Now, you may have a very generous week or two, and you'll feel really good about that, because in your brain, you think, gosh, I gave a lot of money. In the offering the other day, I gave a whole lot. Uh, but in fact, if you're not disciplined in your life, you'll find that it, we tend to collapse in on ourselves. So I need rules about that, as well as everything else, commitments. A rule is simply a commitment to a course of action. And we need to have that in our life and to, and to be held accountable for that. But having said that, We've also got to be flexible on rules because the rules that apply to me maybe don't apply to you. And the rules that apply to me two years ago don't apply to me now. I'm growing and I'm changing and what was adequate two years ago may not be adequate now. So, so the, the principle is always to live with generosity, but the rule about what it looks like this year may be different from what it looks like next year. I've got to be a little bit flexible on that. Now let me give a couple of illustrations about how this uh, plays out. Um, uh, being inflexible on principles and flexible on rules. Some people, some people need rules more than others. There are people who just like, uh, you know, tell me what the rule is. Okay, just make it clear. What am I supposed to do? And sometimes on my messages, I'm not as clear on that as they'd like. And so I get emails and calls. Uh, uh, my sermon a couple weeks ago on uh, the partying Jesus. <laughs> uh, so some rule people got a little uh, uh, nervous about that. Um, and that's okay. That's just a matter of how you're wired. Uh, but but uh, I had several people ask this question. What's the rule? Okay, you're saying that we should, uh, you know, not for sake of our own purity, stay away from parties where there's going to be non-Christians there and maybe ungodly things because Jesus hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and shed a glass of wine with them and we're to follow his example. Okay, got that. So you want me to go to the staff party instead of stay, staying away from it? Now, if I go to the staff party, I need some rules, <laughs> Here's one. Uh, do I laugh at their jokes or not? Because they tell some jokes. Now, my first response is to say, well, are they funny? Because, <laughs> yeah, uh, see, it may be that what you laugh at is inappropriate. Uh, you know, that, that may, maybe, uh, you know, you shouldn't. 
uh, see, that's an issue of your character. And maybe as you grow, things that used to be funny, I find this all the time, things that used to be funny are no longer funny to me. But that, that's an issue of your character, and you're not going to solve that while you're at the party, okay? So you've got to see the forest through the trees here. But more fundamentally, here's the thing. If someone tells a joke, you're at a party, and they tell a joke, are you supposed to laugh or not? Now, the thing is this. I don't know the rule book on this. Did someone have one? Um, what I find in life is this. If, if you perseverate, concentrate on rules, it tends to make you stupid. It, do, it does. No, for this reason, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. Because, see, look at You become sort of like a person who has no flexibility in social circumstances, and, and social circumstances are always about flexibility, adjusting on the fly. Rules don't fit every situation. And so you'll become a real dunderhead when it comes to operating in ambiguous situations, and life can, can be very ambiguous. So, so uh, always looking at the rule book can, can make you stupid, but... If you look at the principle book, what are the principles of life, and live in the question about what ministers life, you'll find it can give you a wisdom about how to apply rules in ambiguous situations. Okay, you following me on this? And so the question to be asking is, is not, not what is the rule about should I laugh or not at this particular joke. Ask the question, what is life? What ministers life here? And remember that uh, people weren't made for rules about jokes. Rules about jokes are made for people. So the question would be this. How do I, if a joke was told that I think is really inappropriate, actually it's probably very appropriate in the social situation, but I find it to really be, ugh. Uh, how do I respond in such a way that I don't sever the relationship? How do I keep from embarrassing this person? I'll tell you this, that if, if you are the kind of person who walks around and whenever someone breaks a rule that you live by, you got to mention it, how many parties are you going to get invited to? You see, and, and, and what it means to relate to people, this is why Christians often only hang out with other Christians, because they're the only ones who can tolerate them. Uh, I, I'm sorry, but see, if you're going to, I'm just being honest here, maybe it's the NyQuil, okay, let's write it off as NyQuil, but, but if you're going to hang out with other people, you've got to learn to love them as they are, which means they don't have to adhere to your rules. Amen. Now, as you develop a relationship in a year or two, they might actually ask your opinion and invite you in, and now you can influence them, and they'll influence you because you're a sinner too. Uh, but but, but, but that, that happens with time. And so pay attention to the principle. What ministers life in this situation? And usually, if you're, looking, if you're getting a wisdom about it, there is, there is an appropriate way to, with integrity, you don't compromise your integrity, but there's an appropriate way where you can uh, get out of this situation. Jesus always found these ways without embarrassing the person, without becoming moralistic. Uh, you know, th there's just a way of kind of smiling and, and whatever, I don't know, but God will lead you on that. Sometimes you're in situations where there just isn't a rule book that's going to apply. Think about principles, not rules. Here's another application. Kids, parents, listen up. Here, it's so important that you are inflexible with life principles, but somewhat flexible with rules. Live, be uncompromising in life principles. Oh, with your life, manifest. Because remember, things are caught more than they're taught. Live in such a way that you're manifesting to your children uh, life. You're manifesting love. You're manifesting justice and mercy and faithfulness. Manifest that. Never compromise on that. But when it comes to rules that apply those things, you sometimes need a little bit of flexibility. The, the rules that minister, that minister life to one child may not minister life to another child. 
Now, you want to be as fair as possible. I got that. I raised three kids. I know what I'm talking about. It's tough. But, but you've also got to customize a little bit. Um, one child may, there are children like this. They're born, they're born saved. I mean, they're born super Christian. They're, they're born Mother Teresa, for crying out loud. They just, they got little angel wings. They're so sweet. <laughs> then there's others who are born more like on the other side. <laughs> and that's kind of where I fit. Um, but, you know, there's some kids who are just so good. And what, and what kills you is if you're a parent of one of the, some kids who aren't like that, and there's a parent over there, and the, their only child is one of these angel children, they're always looking at you with these judgmental eyes, like, look what I did, why can't you do this? And it just doesn't apply. But look, it, it may be for your angel child, the worst thing they ever do is say a swear word. And so you crack down big time. There's a rule, no swearing. Ground them for a month or something, I don't know. Now, your other child, it may be that life evolves in such a way that for whatever reasons, them swearing is the least of your worries. You know what I'm talking about. If you've got a child, 13-year-old, who's suicidally depressed, sleeping around, is on drugs and all those sorts of things, swearing isn't at the top of the list. And so if you apply the same standard to that child, you know what? You're never going to have a non-conflictive moment with that child, which means you're not going to have a relationship with that child. Sometimes to keep the principle of life, you got to let the rule slide, at least bend it a little bit. Now, what can happen is this. If you've been raised on the rules, then the minute you slide on a rule, the little Pharisee in your head indicts you. You know, what, I'm what kind of parent are you? And a lot of times what we do as parents is, is we enforce rules, not for the kid at all. We enforce rules to save ourselves we feel indicted. So at least we don't have to blame our sick, ourselves if the kid goes haywire. Well, I applied the rule. But see, sometimes rules kill. This is why we need wisdom about this. What applies at one point in a child's life may not apply at, at another point in a child's life. In fact, it won't apply in a, at, a, at another point in the child's life. The, the, the nine o'clock curfew was really a, a, life, a, a life principle when the kid was in ninth grade. But when they're a, a junior in college, maybe it's time to back off a little bit on that one. <laughs> And I wish I was joking, but I taught at Bethel for 16 years, and, and I, I see cases like this. And what happens is that the, the, the rules that, that minister life at one point in a person's life can become a prison at, at another point in a person's life. The principle is this. The older the child gets, the more you have to just trust that they've absorbed your principles. And they've got to come up with their own rules about how that, that looks like. And so the older they get, you don't do this overnight, but you back off the rules and you empower them to make decisions. Empowering a kid to make decisions at the appropriate age is one of the most important things. Because if, if, if a kid only knows, if their only motivation that they know to do something is that there's a rule, what happens when you're not around to enforce the rule? They go haywire. I've seen that at Bethel too. Uh, the, the, the only motivation they know are these, these oughts and shoulds. Kids got to develop life on the inside, these life principles on the inside, so that they can begin to have a wisdom about how to do life in the kingdom in an ambiguous world. And so, so you've got to be able to adjust as things grow. A third application would be marriage. Marriage. <laughs> God's ingenious plan to build character. <laughs> That's what marriage is. That's how I define marriage. <laughs> it works, doesn't it? Uh, now look at, look at, see, here's the thing. We all, we, we all, when we get married, to live with somebody is difficult. <laughs> And that means you have to compromise and you have to settle and you got to negotiate and you settle into a pattern. That's not bad. And, and the pattern consists of a lot of sometimes written but mostly unwritten rules. 
There's rules about who does the dishes and who does this and da 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 da. And, and it gives a kind of rhythm to the marriage, and that's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. But the rules that apply when you're 22 and just got married may not be very applicable when you're 40. And so we need to be able to negotiate the patterns. We're changing. We're supposed to be changing at least. I hope you're, if you're 40, that you're a little bit farther along, a little different than you were when you were 22. But see, patterns kind of take on a life of their own. Rules take on a life of their own unless we are careful not to let them do that. And so it has its own momentum. So you got two people that are relating pretty good in, in the pattern when they're 22. But you fast forward 18 years when they're 40, and these people are different now, but they got the same pattern, which means they're growing apart. Some midlife crises and things that explode are the result of people who weren't diligent at revising the patterns. They weren't flexible enough on life patterns. And the person's different on the inside. They got new things being birthed in them, frustrations with the world or whatever. And, and now the pattern that ministered life when they were 22 feels like prison to them. And they think mistakenly that they got to get out of the marriage in order to live out who they really are. And it feels to them like, like this marriage, they've never really been who they really are. And, and, and they're being oppressed and their wife's never understood them. And a lot of that's just retroactive revisioning going on. But, but, but that's how they feel. What they need to do is to take the new self, the new you, with the new self that's being birthed in you and the dreams and the visions and the frustrations and put it on the table and say, can we redo the marriage? Get remarried again. Let's renegotiate this whole thing. Because there's a new me here and, 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 and we've got to accommodate that. You're married to this person, not the person I was 18 years ago. And that's part of the adventure of marriage. It's always changing and evolving. But, but see, that requires that you're, you're flexible with rules. Just because Friday night's always been your fun night doesn't mean that the only night you can have fun. You know, mix it up a little bit. There's a thing called spontaneity, which is really a great godly idea. Uh, you know, just because you've always done things with this group of people doesn't mean that oh, you only can do stuff with that group of people. Or because you've always gone to uh, movies doesn't mean you can't now go to plays or maybe try the opera. Bend the rules a little bit to save the principle. And the principle is about learning to love one another and have mercy on one another and being just towards one another and being faithful to one another. Be inflexible on the life principles. Inflexible, never compromise. But for just that reason, have a wisdom about the rules. There's a time to keep them and then there's a the time to let them go. Close your eyes. As we're dismissed after this prayer, I uh, want to invite you to come forward if you want, and we'll have our prayer teams. In fact, could I ask the prayer teams to come out right now? And if you'd like to stay after and receive prayer for any need in your life whatsoever, they'd be happy to spend some time. And I want to thank all those who were praying for me this message. I, once again, just felt very strong, and that was just uh, a godly thing. Thank you. So, Father, as we uh, are closing this right now, I pray that you'd give each one of us wisdom that comes from above about how to manifest life through rules. Give us wisdom about letting go of rules that no longer minister life. Give us wisdom about committing to new rules that do minister life. Give us wisdom in our marriages, Lord, when to be flexible and when not to be. Give us wisdom with our children, when to be flexible and when not to be. Give us wisdom with all of our relationships. Give us wisdom with regard to ourselves, even what jokes to laugh at and what not to. We need your wisdom, God. We trust you. We trust your life more than we ever trust rules. Rules are to serve you, not you to serve the rules. So thank you, Lord, for loving us as we are. As we leave this place, let us do it, Lord, with your wisdom to build your kingdom in every way, shape, and form in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Go build the kingdom.